In the 1600s, a man wrote, he says, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to way and of others to others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Blaise Pascal, 1600s. Mathematician, Christian philosopher, very wise man, age of 16, discovering things that would impact us today in the realm of math and science. Brilliant. And he says, all men seek happiness without exception. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Um, He's not making a moral judgment on the seeking of happiness in the statement, but he's simply stating a fact. And the fact is, is that every heart is inclined towards pleasure. All of our hearts are inclined towards pleasure. Even the person who hangs himself. I mean, the fact is, we were made this way. We were made to be inclined towards pleasure. If you have your Bibles, let's start Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and read verse 1 through 11. He says this, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's begin um, with this. I think this will be helpful for us today. Um, The book of Ecclesiastes is a little challenging to outline. uh, And outlining sometimes helps us, or oftentimes helps us, to kind of package it in a way that is either understandable, A, understandable, B, uh, 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 memorable, or easier for us to remember. Kind of gives us, if you will, handles to hold on to. When it comes to the text. And so what I want to do is just quickly outline for us this passage. And this is a very common outline for the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, at least in the beginning parts here. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take. After we've done this short brief outline. It's going to take us five seconds. Uh, well maybe a couple minutes. Uh, then what we're going to do is kind of look at the overview. And then start with where we're at in chapter 2 um, verse 1. So with that said. If you have your notes I would encourage you to write this down. Um, and chapter 2, verses 1, the first part of verse 1, is kind of the first of five parts of this short passage of 11 verses. 1a, the first half of, cha- of verse 1, is the first part. Here Solomon describes the quest he's going on. 
So he's getting ready to tell us the quest that he's getting ready to do. It is a quest for pleasure. He is searching for relief from the futility of life and its emptiness. So he's already told us that it's all empty, that he sought knowledge and stuff through wisdom, and now he has discovered that it is all vain. He says that from the very beginning, that is his conclusion. And so now he seeks relief from that through pleasure. So here he tells us, tells us what his quest will be. Second part, the latter half of verse 1 through all of verse 2, he gives us his conclusion. And you thought, well, maybe that's not a creative writer. You're supposed to leave us hanging for a long time and then come back and give us the resolution. Uh, Kohelet does not do that in this, ver- in this chapter, uh, in this book. He, he hammers right at the beginning. He tells us this conquest or his quest that he's on, and then he tells us his conclusion. And he does this consistently. If you read, if you've read on Ecclesiastes, like I've been encouraging to you to do, and he consistently gives his quest and then gives his conclusion and then goes on to describe his quest. So, verse 2, the latter half of verse 1 and verse 2, he gives his conclusion. His conclusion is that his quest was a failure to find pleasure and satisfaction, or satisfaction in pleasure. Um, it was a failure. Pleasure as the means to providing him a sense of satisfaction and meaning in life doesn't work. And that's his conclusion. So we can just close our Bibles, go home. We got it, right? Right? Okay. Uh, after, after I was working through this, I'm like, wow, it really is quite simple. But I think it's good for us to, uh, to expand upon these ideas and for us to, um, to, to work through them. So we're going to keep moving. Uh, then verses 3 through 8. He now catalogs for us the different ways in which he pursued pleasure. So we have the quest, we have his conclusion, or a summary of his conclusion, and then we have him describing the quest, where he catalogs for us the different ways in which he pursued pleasure, sex, music, servants, money. That's the third part, the fourth part is verses 9 through 10, he now gives the assessment of how he did. He tells us how he did in this pursuit. He says, I did it better than any of you have ever done it. His assessment is that no one has ever had as much fun as I just did. And you're saying, well, dude, he just hasn't been to the parties I was in in high school or college or whatever. Uh, Again, he had way more money than any of you uh, could even begin to fathom. Um, he, he had parties. You can go read in Kings, the parties that Solomon put on, um, which is, again, who he's writing from the perspective of. Uh, parties that last for days with, with thousands of people, with thousands of animals slaughtered. Like, he's like, yeah, dude, you know, that keg party was awesome, and yeah, dude, he, he owned all the breweries, okay? Uh, they, he, he licked them dry, okay? Uh, he, he, he owned the, the orchards from which the wine was... was he, matter of fact, he built the orchards from which the wine came from. Uh, you get my point. He had plenty, and he says, no one has ever done it like I just did. Then the fifth part, verse 11, he gives the same conclusion. Same conclusion that he gained, that he gave at the beginning. He says, "I did it all. I did it all, and you know what? It was all vanity, emptiness, chasing the wind." Let me think about that for a moment. For us, just as we begin to work through this, the pleasure that we seek after in this world, and this is a man who no pleasure was kept from his tongue or his hands, his eyes or his heart. No pleasure kept from him. And he says it's all vanity. A chasing after the wind. Let me just, just think for a moment. The areas in our lives that we seek pleasure. We seek that satisfaction 
uh, and, and to fill that emptiness through that pleasure. And he tells us it's like chasing after the wind. The overall context, as we, as we begin to work through this, begins with Kohelet giving us his main thesis, right? That all, all is vanity. All is vanity. Everything is vanity apart from God under the sun. It is all vanity. And then last week we looked at his first attempt, uh, or his first successful attempt, at basically circumventing any opportunity for us to pursue pleasure or for us to find fulfillment, sorry, and satisfaction apart from God, and that first one being wisdom, and wisdom through discovering knowledge and the understanding of the things of this world. So he says all is vanity. Um, you know, he states it this way, all is vanity, not because it's necessarily his final verdict, but in order to shock those of us who are trying to live life apart from God. And the danger for us, particularly for those of us who are followers of Christ, who seek Him daily, it is to think that we're immune from trying to find satisfaction in things apart from God. We think that somehow that that door of opportunity has been shut. And it has not been shut. And it will never be shut until the day that we reach glory. As long as we still have the flesh, the door of opportunity to seek pleasure apart from God is still there. Or to seek, sorry, I'm, I'm Confusing, not pleasure, for us to seek satisfaction and fulfillment, things that are not vanity, uh, the opportunity is still there for us to do so. So again, he begins with wisdom. He says, so if wisdom only leads to grief and despair, then why don't we try pleasure and laughter? That's where we're at. If wisdom just leads to this, despair and grief, and, it's, and this, this seeking after knowledge is vanity, then let's try pleasure and laughter. Maybe escape from the despair by turning to pleasure and laughter is the answer. Do you think this has much application for us today? Unfortunately, though, when we think about this, many of us are going to tune out immediately. Our minds conveniently, hear me, run straight to this when we think of people who are turning from despair and turning to pleasure and laughter. Fulfill that. We tend to think of the Friday night bar hopping, Saturday morning toilet bowl hugging crowd. Right? I was there last night. Uh, there was plenty of them that were drunk. Uh, I was at my wife's 10 year reunion uh, last night at Little York Tavern in Ohio. Or in Ohio. Yeah, it was in Ohio. It was in Dayton, uh, Vandalia, there we go. And lots of, uh, lots of this going on. And our tendency is to think of those running away from despair and turning to pleasure. We think of them, or we think of the beer belly drunken NASCAR watching hillbillies, right? Uh, I used to like NASCAR. Or the wealthy buy anything they want, living it up, not a care in the world group. And we forget and we easily lose sight that this is for us today. But let me propose this application of Kohelet's words to us. What about those of us who are searching for meaning and fulfillment in the pleasure of your children apart from God? That is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Searching for fulfillment through busyness is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Searching for hope in your obedience to God is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Finding joy and meaning in one big life situation, living from that situation to the next is vanity and a chasing after the wind. Uh, some of us live from one God moment to the next. And that is vanity. Um, some of us live from one big illness as such or something going wrong from that, and that's where we somehow find some weird fulfillment in those moments. Let me ask you a question. Do you find more joy, satisfaction, fulfillment in anything in life, more so than the simple truth 
of a song that we sang last week. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cross, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. And now all I know is grace. There is a unique, one-of-a-kind fulfillment and satisfaction that we find in God. And if we're not careful, we can find fulfillment and satisfaction in things that are shadows of that God. Things that are so closely related to Him, but we're actually finding our satisfaction and our fulfillment in the things of God instead of the God Himself. Now we, we don't have time today, and, and maybe we'll do this during house gatherings this week, to, to kind of sort through some of that. What does that exactly look like? But the fact is, is that our pleasure belongs in the God um, of the universe. And our fulfillment belongs there. And anything else falls into that category of sin. So, my point with this at the beginning, before we begin to work through the text, is just for us to understand, this is for us just as much as it is for that lost person that you work with that knows nothing of the God that we worship. This is just as much for us. So, many of us, I would say this as we move on, many of us are trying this experiment and we don't even realize it. Many of us are on this quest and we don't realize it. And, um, I heard a preacher once say that you don't know that you're sleeping until you wake up, right? Think about that. I mean, how many of us, oh, I'm sleeping right now. No, if, if you were, you wouldn't be talking to yourself, at least in that conscious uh, state. But instead, someone has to wake you up. And, and my prayer is that if you're on this quest in any aspect of your life, that God would wake you up today. And set you on the right path. So, with that said, let's jump right into Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. Um, he tells us what he's getting ready to do. This is where he tells us this quest that he's, that he's going on. He's going to test pleasure seeking, sorry, he's going to test pleasure seeking as a way of satisfaction, value, and meaning. Uh, but then he tells us that pleasure seeking as a way of satisfaction fails because God has not built us to be satisfied in this way. Pleasure-seeking cannot quench a man's spiritual thirst. Pleasure-seeking in this way. Back to Blaise Pascal. He, he goes on in that same quote and he says, There once was a man a true happiness of which now remain to him only the mark and empty trace which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, that is to say, only by God himself. God himself. So first kind of handlebar for us to grab onto. You cannot quench the thirst of life by drinking pleasure. You cannot quench the thirst of life by drinking pleasure. Since wisdom failed to find meaning and satisfaction in life, let's try pleasure now. So now you and I are, uh, we're going to go down this journey and evaluate pleasure and kind of unpack this a little bit today. More people try this avenue rather than the avenue of wisdom. Anybody would agree with me on that? Right? Yeah. More people try this than the avenue of wisdom. Why? Because you don't have to think as much, for one thing. You just do, right? I mean, how many of us would be honest and say, I find myself where I am more doing, less thinking. Anybody? Yeah? That uh, doesn't, let me, let me back up. Because some of us are like, well, I'm a thinker. I, I, I think in all the time. 
But it's the danger is for us to, uh, my, my, my point is, let me, I guess let me back up again. My point is just, it's just because we sit and think, or, because oftentimes, you know, I'll, I'll say this, my, um, I'm not going to get in trouble, so nobody feel any tension here as I begin to talk about my wife, okay? My wife is a thinker, okay? Um, so she will sometimes overthink things, sometimes, and typically, I, I tend to underthink things, uh, so we kind of help balance each other out there. No, I'm, I, now I begin to overthink things, but anyways, we overthink things. Um, that doesn't classify you as someone who doesn't, that always thinks about what they do, okay? Because a lot of times our overthinking, honestly, is motivated by emotions, um, because we get wrapped up in the thinking, uh, and so we begin to basically build upon something that's not really there, so we, be, so we get consumed emotionally, if we're honest, in that moment. And so then what happens is we end up doing without the proper thinking to go along with it. But here's my, my point back to the text is that he's talking about let's, you know, this wisdom, you know, that's, that didn't work. So now let's try pleasure. And for us today, I think the general observation is that many people do this task uh, because it's much easier than having to give thought to what it is that we're doing. Um, so now we have a new avenue of exploration for the meaning of st- and for meaning and satisfaction. Um, how many of you are familiar with like the phrase, um, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Right? Or uh, I'm living for the weekend. Sounds like that's a song. Living for the weekend. It probably is. Or uh, thank God it's Friday. Right? It's to drown the hard facts of life in frivolity. That is our thought in those moments. It is, this life is hard, I have to work, and I'm just doing all this so that I can get to those moments of the week where I can drown it all in wastefulness, seeking after pleasure. And we all have our forms of this. For me, it's probably TV. It doesn't look like getting drunk. It doesn't look like, uh, it looks like I've been working, reading all day, studying all day, and I get home, and the last thing I want to do is open a book. Uh, And I just want to turn on the TV, and I want to lose my mind for some time. And that's frivolity. Seeking pleasure somewhere else. So as, as we continue to work through this, I sh- we should define a term, uh, the term hedonism. Anybody familiar with that term, hedonism? Okay. Hedonism is the pursuit of or devotion to pleasure, especially to the pleasure of the senses, uh, is hedonism. So that's, that's the idea of us seeking pleasure, being devoted to seeking pleasure, and that's basically, that's the road that Kohelet or Solomon here has went down. And the thesis is that pleasure is the highest good, that only pleasure has value itself. And the preacher says his conclusion is that it is failure. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 2, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So his conclusion that you go this direction, and what do you have? Futility, madness, uselessness. Understand, this is, this is his own conclusion, and it's not his conclusion because he failed to achieve pleasure. You see the difference? Like, he didn't fail to achieve pleasure. Like, this is what we'll do. Like, we'll be trying to do something, you know, uh, uh, let, let's say, uh, I'm going to say hunting, okay? So I'm going to try hunting. I'm not going to tell my story, all right? I promise. I, I'm going to try hunting. So I'm starting to get into hunting, and I'm going to try this, and then when you fail at it, now your conclusion is it's just useless. It's not fun anymore. Like, it's, it's pointless. There's no point. It's stupid. 
But then if, if you were to rewind that and redo that and you were successful, now all of a sudden it's pleasurable and it is, it is, it is fulfilling, right? So my point is that he is not coming to the conclusion that it is useless and madness because he did not find pleasure. He's coming to the conclusion that it's useless and it's madness, it's futility, because uh, in the, or he's coming to that conclusion in the midst of finding ultimate pleasure, of satisfying, uh, in a sense, or a temporary sense, his heart and his senses, and, and, and giving them food um, in this way, it's pleasure. Instead, from the fullness of his own realness of pleasure, he says it failed to give any meaning to life. Once again, just in case you're thinking, well, he hasn't experienced some of the things I have experienced. He experienced them with little limits. Next, he moves on to catalog these things for us. So let's look at chapter 2, verses 3. He says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. And now to lay hold of folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. He says, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. How many of you have built houses, plural? Okay. <laughs> for yourself? Okay, okay. Planted vineyards. Okay. Not planted a grape. I made myself gardens. Have you made yourself gardens? Yeah? Okay. How about parks? Anybody built parks? Maybe a modern day uh, example. I'm stretching this a little bit, but you know, uh, amusement park. Anybody know the Son of Beast is being torn down? It's like a $20 million thing that sat there for three years and is now being torn back down um, after a couple lawsuits. But built parks, maybe if you think of Central Park, uh, other big national parks and forests and he built these and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees he said i made myself pools from which to water the forests how many of you have made pools from which to water the forests <laughs> i have dug a pond myself uh, but not a pool to water forests To water the forest of growing trees. He says, I bought male and female slaves. How many of you bought male and female slaves? Anybody? Okay. That one. I'm glad we're on the same page there. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I married him like five years ago. I'm just All right. Number six. or First six. Uh, no, we're already there. Number he goes, I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Right. So he owned more than three chickens, okay? He owned lots. More than anyone before him. He said, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. So our bank account, whether it has $10 in it or has uh, 10 million in it. It is still not the treasure of kings and provinces. He says, I got singers, both men and women. So let's think about this. So I, I went to a concert. I paid $40 to get there. Dude, he, he bought the band, okay? <laughs> like the Rolling Stones, like he bought them. And he says, come play at my house only for me. Uh, he didn't have an iPod. He just bought the band, you know. How, how would you like that feature? You go to iTunes, just buy the band. Uh, and that was his option. Uh, iTunes, iPod, band. iPod, band. Band, it is. Great pleasure. Um, 
And then he had many concubines. I don't, I don't think there's a man in here that can handle his wife alone, uh, let alone hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. So the first pleasure that he sought uh, was anesthetization. 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 Whatever you want. Anesthetization. Put that down. That's, that's your first point there. Some of you are like, huh? Put it right there. Anesth- it's spelled, I hope I spelled it right. <laughs> the med student goes, looks good to me. <laughs> I did look that up. That is a word, right? Just for the record. What are you saying? He says wine. Today we have many more options um, to anesthetize ourselves. That was the first pleasure that he talks about seeking after was the idea of anesthetizing himself from the futility of this life. I mean, remember, where's he at, okay? He's already incredibly wise, and then he sought to find fulfillment through seeking wisdom. And so in his wisdom, what's he find? He finds that the earth is full of vanity. So what's the next option if it's all futile and it's all emptiness? Well, if I can just drown and anesthetize myself to the situation, then I can deal with it. And this, I mean, we see this happen. We see this people drunk on the weekends. They're trying to anesthetize themselves to whatever their life situation is. Um, what ways do we do that ourselves? But basically, his goal is to numb himself. I think some of us do this with TV, maybe with video games. Some of us may do this with wine and alcohol. Um, trying to anesthetize ourselves from the futility of this life. Number two, his other category here is the pleasure of products and projects. He built houses for himself, planted vineyards, made gardens and parks, fruit trees and ponds. And what's he say? He says, I did it all for what? All for what? Myself. I did it all for myself. He's not beating around the bush here. I did it all for personal gratification. Some of us busy ourselves with stuff. We're trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment by busying our lives. Um, Some of you have been around me recently and I've expressed my uh, working through this, this sin myself of just being too busy. Um, and, and I think we tend to make synonymous busyness with godliness, and it's not. Busyness is synonymous, or it can be synonymous. We're going to maybe have to define that a little more clearly. But busyness, in the way I think many of us mean we're too busy, is synonymous with sin, not synonymous with godliness. So if we're too busy to give time and thought to God as we should, to do the priorities that God has given us to do, uh, to, to just be available to God's leading in our lives. If we are too busy to do that, then that's not synonymous with godliness. It's synonymous with sinfulness. Um, so many of us try to find this pleasure and satisfaction in busying our lives. Uh, we think there's something pious about that. Uh, and so that's where we find that fulfillment at, is why well, I'm being super spiritual because my schedule is packed all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I realized that with me just probably three or four weeks ago that um, where's my time to just sit and hear from God? Just to stare at the wall. <laughs> Some of you are going, oh, that would be boring. You know, it's not when God's talking. It's really not. Um, Some of us have been so busy, we've forgotten what God's voice sounds like. And we've been chasing after this pleasure somewhere else instead of God. 
Next one, the pleasure of attendance. He bought people to serve him, to serve his hand and his good day and night. He says, I had them. He goes, I bought people. Number four, the pleasure of money and possessions. He says, I had flocks and herds greater than anybody before me. I had silver, gold, the treasure of kings and provinces. I had the net worth of provinces. You know, it's interesting listening to the debate uh, on uh, the other day. I'm not going to make any political statements here. But one thing I do find very interesting. All them comments were aimed, a lot of them anyways, were aimed at the middle class. Anybody pick up on that? It's middle class this, middle class that, middle class this. And then in the same conversation, we keep hearing things like, well, you know, we're in this class of people. We're in this financial category of people. We, well, not for people like us, but for the middle class. And I'm not saying that a, a, that that necessitates a middle class president. But what I do find interesting is that uh, they um, are probably far-fetched from the idea of middle class and live in that realm, but yet are trying to appeal to those in the middle class. Um, And again, I'm not saying that that necessitates a middle class, but that's not my point. Um, I think there's something to say about Uh, someone who has been successful in business uh, and that aspect of life to then lead uh, the country. And so I think there's something valuable to be said about that. But these guys obviously have found great success, great pleasure. That doesn't necessitate sin either. Um, But for us um, and for all of us and them included, are we trying to find pleasure in our money, pleasure in our possessions? I mean, think about that. You don't have to have millions of dollars to find pleasure in your possessions, right? Anybody? You can find pleasure in your possession that cost you $10, and you spent every penny you had to have it. Matter of fact, I would contest that even in that position, maybe it is more pleasurable and valuable to you to spend every dime you had on it. Solomon, I wrote this down. Solomon says, I was not wealthy. I owned countries. <laughs> I didn't just have money. I owned, like, not the world, but the next thing to it. Next, pleasure of music. I'm not going to say much on this, but he bought the band. He bought you too, right? He bought them. And said, you perform for me and only me. Pleasure of sex, number six. The Bible records that Solomon had 700 concubines. When it came to sexual satisfaction, he had it. There was no fantasy that was out of his reach. He had women for sex on call. And he does this again for what? All for himself. For us. Pleasure of sex. Might be porn. Could just be lust. I don't say just as in minimizing it. uh, But it could be lust. Ladies, could be Fifty Shades of Grey. If any of you read that, I'll hurt you. Uh, That is female porn. Alright? It could just be a secret admiration of someone in an appropriate way that no one else knows about. Pleasures of sex. Seeking fulfillment in that area of life. So, here we are. He's given us his his quest. He's given us a short conclusion. And he has cataloged for us uh, his journey. And what he has seen and what he has experienced. And then in verse 9, he gives his assessment of his trial. He says, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. There's so much in there we don't have time to unpack. But just very quickly, um, 
He's saying, you will never have the kind of fun that I had. You don't have the resources that I have. That's his assessment. This is what has happened. Then he moves on to his conclusion in verse 11. He says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He says, The yield was, a, was zero. There was no benefit. I mean, do, do you hear me? Do you, do you hear me? We seek this pleasure. It just looks differently than what it may look like for him. And he experienced what you're trying to experience. He experienced it with no limit. He experienced it to its fullest with all the resources available to him. And he says that there was no benefit. And yet tomorrow we will again, or when we leave in a few moments, we will again begin our pursuit of pleasure apart from God and fulfillment apart from God in hopes that it will be beneficial and that it will yield some sort of gain in our life. And then we will once again find ourselves sitting there empty, wondering what happened. And if we take that a step further, we'll look back and go, what a waste. And if we're not careful, we'll move on to find pleasure in something else. And then we begin it again and again and again. And then we wonder why we live this life void of God and seeing God work in our lives because we're so focused on our pleasure and things apart from God instead of simply enjoying God. Finding pleasure in God. We'll come back to that in a few moments. So, he says the yield is of no benefit. So, my question is, is your pursuit of pleasure an alternative to the pleasures of God? Is your pursuit of pleasure, the things in your life that you're pursuing, an alternative to the pleasures of God? Or does it flow out of a profound contentment in the pleasures of God? Does your enjoyment flow out of a profound contentment in the pleasures of God? You say, what is the difference? Let me ask you, let's, let's ask some discerning questions here. Does your leisure time have God in it? Does your leisure time have God in it? Or is God absent from your leisure time, entertainment time, vacation time? Um, I got the opportunity uh, to spend some time in the woods on Friday. Now stop, I'm not talking about, okay? But I got, the, and as I was leaving with uh, Robbie and Greg Thursday night, I asked him to pray that I would just have some time to spend with God. And you're saying, Matt, that's really convenient. You get to spend time with God, and, uh, uh, and you get to, yes, the, the story. And so, but seriously, like the opportunity to sit. Uh, I had phone service in the morning. I had no phone service in the evening. And I enjoyed the evening much better. Uh, I had, could do nothing but sit there and talk to God, talk to myself, uh, not out loud, okay? That should just be weird, and I wouldn't have killed anything. Uh, but to talk to my, <laughs> uh, sorry, other dialogue, stop, so I can keep preaching. Um, my brain's going somewhere else. Um, just the opportunity to sit there and just um, think. So my, my point is this. Yes, there's leisure, there's obvious enjoyment in getting to do that and the rewards thereafter. Um, but it really is, for me, an opportunity to just spend and enjoy God, enjoy His creation, um, enjoy His beauty, and just, just to talk with Him. Uh, there's nothing else to do. I mean, you can't count leaves all day, you know. Well, you can count leaves all day, but uh, that would get very boring. So is your leisure time, does it involve God? That's not saying that you have to like be thinking God the whole time, you know, but does it involve God or do you try to kind of get away from things? Um, are the things you are doing or in, uh, in pursuit of pleasure, would, would you want God around during those times? 
Why do you pursue pleasure? Is it to forget about certain things? Is it to kill some pain? Is it, are you trying to sustain some emotional uh, high or some, uh, some sort of sustenance or sustaining of your life? Is there, uh, is there a sense of lack in your life that is driving your pursuit? If you seek meaning and satisfaction in life via, via pleasure and absence of God, Kohelet tells us it is vanity. He said it's failure. So, let's move on. What happens, uh, I, I want us to think through for a few moments, the pleasures of this world, and think about how practically they, they rope us in. Like, how do we get roped in to the pleasures of this life? First of all, you must think deeply about what the world is offering you through pleasure. So let's, let's think through this for just a few moments. What is the lie of pleasure? What is the lie of pleasure? What are the tricks that come along with this lie? I want you to think about what the world is promising you in its pledge of pleasure. So let's think about this for just a few moments. Sociologists say, listen to this, that we are hit roughly 20,000 times a day with an image or idea promising you pleasure in this world. Think about that. Whether that's print media, radio media, television, internet, sociologists say we are hit 20,000 times a day with things that are promising you pleasure and fulfillment. Don't just think your TV. It's, it's all around us. You're being promised this pressure, pleasure. Here's the lie. Earthly pleasure can provide you with true satisfaction. You just need to give it a chance. That is the lie. Just give it a chance. You haven't given it a chance. That is why you are not finding pleasure. The tricks, when it fails, the world says, no, you just haven't found the right thing. Right? So you, you've been trying pleasure there, but you just haven't found the right thing. It's why you keep failing. The next thing you try will satisfy. So you're not satisfied yet? It's because you don't have enough of what you want. You just need more. Your buddy has more, and he's happy. Right? Then there, I mean, we see these people. There are those people who are, are pretty satisfied with the pleasures that they're experiencing. They aren't frustrated about the pleasures of life. They're having a boatload of fun. What trick does pleasure play in this situation? Look, stop thinking about all of this stuff. Just enjoy it. Stop giving it thought. Just enjoy it. Most people who go down the avenue of pleasure are not sitting around. I mean, think about this. Most people who go down the avenue of pleasure are not sitting around smoking a pipe and thinking about the philosophy of pleasure at night. Right? They're not. They're just doing it. Just enjoying it. This kind of shallowness about life anesthetizes us from the futility of reality. Just enjoy it. Just do. Don't think about it. Just do. Just go do your job. Don't think about it. Just do. Just watch that TV. Don't think about it. Just do. Just buy that object of your desire. Don't think about it. Just do. Speak the way you want to the people around you. It doesn't matter. Just do. As long as you enjoy it, just do. What are the cheats of pleasure? We've already looked at these a little bit earlier on, but the law of unfulfilled expectation. You thought that getting that next deal or toy would do it. The law of diminishing returns. You get it, you like it, and then you get bored with it. Uh, for some of us, electronics are in this category. You get it, you like it, you're bored with it. Uh, 
iPhone. <clears throat> it doesn't do the same for you now that it did three years ago. You know, as, as I was writing this, I'm thinking, well, my iPhone still does do the same thing that it did two years ago. Uh, but, you know, it's just not shiny, beautiful, although I'm not ready to discard it. Um, but uh, anyways, the law of diminishing return, law of unintended consequences. I think the law of unintended consequences uh, is one that w- we give very little thought to. Here's, what's hap- here's what happens. Hear me on this. You're pursuing pleasure, and then you realize that it cost you something that you didn't think it would cost you. All of a sudden, you stop, you look back, and you go, wow, I didn't realize it was going to cost me my family. It was going to cost me my children, your church, your job, your community. You know, last, uh, just be two hunting seasons ago, you're like, man, it's three in one sermon. It's just rough. Uh, this, this fits incredibly well. Three years, uh, two seasons ago, Chapman was born in November. And going into hunting season, my wife, or my, the, my buddies that I hunt with down south said to me, uh, man, you didn't plan that one very well, did you? Uh, and I thought, yeah, I guess I didn't give any thought to that. <laughs> so then what happens is we come into hunting season, um, and chap's born, and after chap comes gun season, and I'm thinking, man, I really want to be out in the woods, have a newborn at home, and, uh, and I begin to uh, convince myself that the best thing for me to do was to go hunting uh, instead of be at home with my wife. And uh, I have apologized to her a hundred times for it, but um, that's, that's one of those things where I did not think through the unintended consequences. Uh, and, and I don't think that she holds that against me in any way, but one unintended consequence could be, well, what's he going to do next time that a pleasure like that presents itself? Uh, And so it's it's been interesting looking at this year and going, I enjoy hunting, um, but God has really, I think, uniquely worked on my perspective and brought it into a much more holy perspective. Um, you know, usually by this time, I would have hunted like seven or eight times uh, at least, and uh, I've hunted twice. Uh, and it's not that less is necessarily more holy, but in this situation, I think it is. And God has um, helped me understand that that, number one, was a sin two years ago, and that this is perspective is where I need to be. So... An unintended consequence. What could have been those unintended consequences? And for many of us, we just, we don't even think about consequences, period, let alone the unintended consequences of the decisions that we make. So, what is it going to cost you? If you're going the way of pleasure, though, think about this. It's because something um, is not filled up in you. Pleasure is not going to fill that gap, though. You're going to be increasingly empty. Write this down. Write this down. Self-pleasing cannot bear the weight of reality. Self-pleasing cannot bear the weight of reality. Centering the universe on yourself cannot, you, you can stop, well you can write this down too, but that first phrase is the main thing I wanted you to write down. But to expand on that, centering the universe on yourself cannot provide meaning to that universe. You can't hold up the universe. It's not meant to center around you. And so your self-pleasing, seeking pleasure cannot bear the weight of the reality that is pressing in on you. And that's what Kohelet is saying here. He said, I went out seeking the pleasure of this world. I went out seeking pleasure for me, all for me. And the reality at the end of the day was still that it's all vanity, that it's all still 
futile and empty. You see, his seeking pleasure could not bear the weight of that reality that was pressing in on him. And so you and your self-pleasure seeking cannot bear the weight of that reality. Only God can hold up the universe and bear the weight of reality. Self can't provide the meaning for the universe and there, uh, pleasing self can't provide meaning and satisfaction in this world. So therefore, pleasing self cannot provide meaning and satisfaction in this world. Last main point. The only pleasure that can ultimately fulfill us is pleasure in God. Pleasure in itself is not wrong, although there are some pleasures that are wrong. We understand what I'm saying there? Pleasure itself, the idea of pleasure is not wrong, although there are some pleasures that are wrong. The fundamental problem is this, seeking pleasure as a substitute for God. Seeking pleasure as a substitute for God. Seeking ultimate pleasure in the wrong way. The solution is not to renounce pleasure, but to seek pleasure in its proper place. God. The world thinks, I mean, the world thinks that our agenda as Christians is to make everyone miserable. <laughs> right? We all just don't know how to have fun. Well, all right, I'm boring. Okay. Uh, it's interesting, even as I was sitting uh, at her 10-year reunion last night, where the night finally concluded was three men sitting around the table, their beers in hand. I just, I, beer just can't get past the smell. Yeah. So, but the night concluded with the three of us sitting around the table talking about our kids. Uh, and the apparent uh, boring uh, how that was apparently boring. Um, that's the night. So we're there to party, have a good time, right? And we, maybe it's me, you know, maybe it was just, I draw those kind of people, you know, no offense. Uh, we're sitting around the table talking about our kids. To me, I'm like, dude, my kid's awesome, you know? And they're like, yeah, my kid peed on the potty the other day. It's so cool, you know? But my point is that we, we found ourselves sitting there, and the world accuses us of not being able to have fun, and I'm going, whoa, 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 these two people were not followers of Christ, and they're talking about the monotony and the futility of their life. So don't accuse me of not being able to have fun. I have a different perspective on what fun is, uh, and we have a different perspective. We should. So we say, die to yourself, right? Die, deny yourself and take up your cross. We don't say that, but we proclaim that, right? Die daily. The world says that doesn't look like fun. But then what does Jesus say? When you die to yourself, you find what? New life in me. You find new life in me. So meaning is not found in the self-gratifying pursuit of earthly pleasure, but true pleasure is found in God. We don't have time to dive into all this, but your problem is not that you want too much, it's that you're satisfied with too little. Do you hear me? We're satisfied with too little. You're re- you are rejecting real, profound, lasting pleasure for fake pleasure. So I mean, if we would just go back, let me give a little small commentary, because I think we can find ourselves trying to find fulfillment in even eradicating sin in our lives. So we can try and find satisfaction, fulfillment, and going, I'm going after these sins in my lives. Well, let me give you a, kind of a, another bookend for that, because we do need to be mortifying sins in our lives. The sin, even in that, is when we're trying to find fulfillment and placement before God because of our actions of trying to mortify sin in our lives. So we focus on that. And, I, and let me tell you, we are settling for way too little. We can enjoy God. 
asking Him to eradicate the sins in our lives and then humbly following the Spirit as He guides us. We settle for way too little. Um, Some of you know where this quote is going to end up, but I want to read to you a more extensive quote from C.S. Lewis's sermon, The Weight of Glory. He says this, If you asked 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But if you asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. You see, you see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive. And this is of more than philological importance. The negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily of securing goods for others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. I do not think that this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we might follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find when we do so contains an appeal to desire. He goes on, If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. His concluding statement is, we are far too easily pleased. I, let me petition this for you today. Explore the emptiness of worldly hedonism. Don't just dismiss it. That's where the danger comes in. We just dismiss that. And and, and then what happens is, because we've just dismissed it and not learned about it, then we don't recognize it when it creeps back in. So explore. I'm not saying go sin. I'm saying think through it. I'm saying ponder it. Ask God to reveal it to you. Ask God to reveal where in your life currently you are seeking worldly pleasures. See its despair in the end. And then, don't abandon pursuit of pleasure. Just change your aim. Change your aim. And my question would be, do you enjoy God? Do you enjoy God? Do you delight in God? Does your heart sing of that delight? When you're driving down the road, and, and I don't listen exclusively to Christian music, but you know, uh, there is something about delighting in God and the music that leads us to do so. And it doesn't have to be just music. I, sitting in my tree stand on Friday, and just found myself at different moments just delighting in God, reflecting on God. And then the praise that erupts from that and the, and the, the words that erupts from that. And when you're at home with your family, do you delight in God? Does that reflect in the way you treat those around you that you are delighting in the creator of the universe? Do you delight to know the depths of His grace and the depths of, uh, of the truths that He has revealed to us? Do you delight to know in knowing Him more? Um, 
there's a song that we're going to do here in the future that the bridge says, all my sin for your grace, what a glorious exchange. Think about that. You, do you delight in God? Not just the things of God, but do you delight in God? Um, so don't change your pursuit of pleasure, just change its aim. Put it on the right thing. So let's pray. I'm going to give us some time to reflect as we sing this next song. Um, just a few moments for us to delight in God before we dismiss today. So let's, um, let's pray as, as we get ready here. Father, thank you for, for the wisdom in your word, the guidance in your word to aim us towards the right thing. Father, I thank you that, that just practically that our, that the gospel is not a gospel of, of denial, of enjoyment, but you've created us to enjoy. Father, you've created us to find pleasure. And, but as we know, this world fights for that enjoyment and for that pleasure to be found in other places in our flesh because of its desire for evilness and darkness it relentlessly desires pleasure in anything but the things of God no matter how closely related they are to God so Father I just pray that in these moments that we would take some time to reflect if that means not singing because keeping our eyes closed and, and speaking to you, that, that you would reveal to us the places in our lives that we are finding pleasure apart from you. And Father, in these moments, help us to delight in you, maybe in a way that we have not delighted in you ever before. Father, we give you the praise for these moments. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.